There's a solitary, humble, wooden structure on a windswept hill in rural New England. To open the door is to engage our minds, our hearts, and our imaginations. In this place, preachers and professors, past and present, come alive as they walk the aisle, ascend the pulpit stairs, and teach. From theology, from history, and from the Word of God, welcome to the Saybrook Meeting House, an audio production of Saybrook Ministries. The design of this preface is not to acquaint the world with the worth of this great person. His works, already extant, sufficiently praise him. But to give the reader our just judgments of his eminent fitness for so great an undertaking and of his happy performance of it. Besides his eminent endowments, as to natural and acquired abilities, he had the happiness of an early and more than ordinary conversion, in which God favored him with a marvelous light, especially in the mysteries of corrupt nature and of the gospel, which afterward shined through most of his works and especially through his commentaries. This light was attended, so far as we can judge, with an inward sense of spiritual things, which, after long experience, grew up into senses exercised to discern good and evil, and into an abounding in all knowledge and sense. And indeed, that person is the best interpreter who, besides other helps, has a commentary of his own heart, and he best interprets Paul's epistles, who is himself the epistle of Christ written by the Spirit of God. He best understands Paul's epistles, who has Paul's sense, temptations, and experience. He religiously observed the light he arrived to, and greatly abhorred to hold any truth in unrighteousness, but lived over the truths he knew, even to the hazard of what was most dear to him. And according to Christ's own aphorisms, the truest way of understanding his doctrine is to do it. He had a genius to dive into the bottom of points which he intended to treat of, to study them down, as he used to express it, not contenting himself with superficial knowledge, without wading into the depths of things. His way was to consult the weightiest, if not all, the authors that had written upon the subject he was upon, greatly valuing the light which every man afforded, according to the manifold grace of God and the various dispensations of his spirit, yet confined himself to no man's sentiments, but made an advance from his own light and experience to the notions of others. As he consulted with books, so he had the advantage of intimate converse with the greatest Christians of his age, those living and walking Bibles. And thus, 
from reading the living word in himself and others, he rose up to great improvement in the truths of God and was able to speak more particularly and experimentally in cases of conscience and practical points, which especially qualified him for this work. He was a person much addicted to retirements and deep contemplation, by which means he had the advantage of looking round the points and scriptures he was upon and filling his head and heart with spiritual notions as the sand of the sea. He had the happiness of high and intimate communion with God, being a man mighty with him in prayer, to whom he had a frequent recourse in difficult points and cases. And such men wade further into the deep things of God, who have such a leader. He delighted much in searching into points in scriptures which were more abstruse and neglected by others, and removed from vulgar inquiry, and was very successful in opening such difficult texts, in discovering the depths of Satan, in anatomizing the old man in himself and others. He had been much exercised in the controversies that had been agitated in the age he lived in, having a piercing understanding, able to find out where the pinch and stress of controversies lay, when he stated them in his own heart from scripture and experience, and had a peculiar faculty to bring them down to ordinary capacities in scripture language, without hard and pedantic terms. He had a deep insight into the grace of God and the covenant of grace, a darkness in which was anciently, and still is, the cause of great errors in the church. The ignorance of the Greek fathers of the grace of God gave great occasion to the Pelagian errors, as Jansenius observes. He had, before his undertaking this province, gone over, in the course of his ministry, the grand points of religion, and concocted them in his own head and heart. And this he had done in frequent and intelligent auditories, which greatly draws out the gifts of men and fits them for such a work as this. He had this further advantage, that God had exercised him not only with inward conflicts, but with sufferings for the truth he owned, leaving not only preferments, but which was more precious to him, the exercise of his ministry in his native country. Only he had this benefit by his recess to review and study over again his notions and principles. And we never find God wanting in the discoveries of his secrets to such friends in their retirements. After his return, he was made choice of to interpret this epistle to which work he was eminently suited upon all accounts, having a light into the deep and profound mysteries contained in it beyond the elevation of those times. As to his comment, it sufficiently commends itself, and therefore needs not our encomium. We shall only give you some remarks on it, which occurred in the perusal of his papers. According to our observation, no man who has been exercised in the same province 
does more happily pitch upon the true, genuine, and full scope of the text. He is frequently guided to a scope unobserved by others as to the latitude of it, and was much delighted to interpret Scripture into the most vast and comprehensive sense which the Spirit of God aimed at, adoring still the fullness of the Scriptures, being curious and critical in observing the various references and aspects one place had upon others. We find him dexterous at the opening of dark scriptures, having a peculiar faculty in comparing spiritual things with spiritual, one obscure place with another more clear and perspicuous, fetching light as men do in optics by various positions of glasses into a dark place bringing light to gospel truths from dark types and prophecies, and reflecting back light, again, upon those dark shadows from gospel truths, being happily gathered by him into a constellation, and now a glorious light. He passed by no difficulty of the text, till he assails it and makes the place plain. He values the least iota, and makes it appear what great and momentous things depend upon little words in the scripture, which others too carelessly pass by. His observations are clear, genuine, and natural, and many times not of vulgar or and common observation, which he usually confirms by one or more pertinent apposite scriptures, which he interprets as he goes along, to the great benefit and delight of the reader still founding what he treats of upon Scripture, which is a way most satisfactory and blessed of God, and abides more on men's hearts. He brings down the highest controverted point and the most sublime mysteries of the gospel in a plain and familiar way to discerning Christians, without affectation of hard and scholastic terms. Having stated those great controversies in his own heart, he makes them easy to the sense and experience of others. He makes use of a variety of learning, though in a concealed way, studying to bring his learning to Scripture and not Scripture to his learning. His language is natural and expressive of his conceptions, being adapted to convey truths into the minds of men with clearness and delight. He speaks the intimacies of things from an inward sense and feeling of them in his own heart to the particular cases and experience of others. He has a vein of strong spiritual reason running through all these discourses, carrying its own light and the evidence with it. He discovers a deep insight into the mysteries of the gospel and a great light in the discovery of them such as is great in this age, but was much greater about forty years ago when he preached these lectures. He breaks open the minds of the glorious grace of God and the unsearchable riches of Christ, and the further you search into them, the greater treasures you will find. No man's heart was more taken with the eternal designs of God's grace than his, and no man makes clearer schemes of it to others. None more clearly resolves the plot of man's salvation into pure grace than he. 
His discourses all along are very evangelical, carrying the soul to a higher holiness and from a higher spring and arguments than what are to be found in philosophers. From the great pulleys and motives of the gospel, which are higher and nobler springs than what Adam himself had in innocency. In the whole, he shows himself a man of God thoroughly furnished to every good work, skilled in the whole compass of true divinity, speaking fully, clearly, and particularly to the points he undertakes to handle. We think he may be looked upon as a person raised up by God for some eminent service in that age he lived in, as Augustine and others were in their times. That these discourses are his own, we need say no more, than that they bear his own signature. He having drawn to the life the picture of his own heart by his own hand. From Thankful Owen and James Barron's preface to the 1681 folio edition of the works of Thomas Goodwin. Thank you for joining us this week at the Saybrook Meeting House. We hope you've been blessed by today's podcast. Saybrook Ministries' mission is to provide didactic and devotional content from the Christian faith delivered to the saints recovered and refined by the Protestant Reformation. Be sure to visit saybrookministries.org for continually updated Christian content designed to inspire and invigorate our imagination and intellect. Join us next week for another journey to the Saybrook Meeting House. Until then, may God bless you.